You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Are we there yet? For anyone who has been on a road trip as a small child, or perhaps even more so anyone who has small children, are we there yet is the most popular refrain coming early and often from the backseat of the car, isn't it? Almost, almost to the point of annoyance. But the great irony here is that the more exciting the destination, the more frequent the question, right? Nobody is asking, are we there yet, when they know they're on the way to the dentist. <laughs> but if they know they're on their way camping, you're, you know, over to grandma's house, are we there yet, is the popular, popular refrain. Now, one way to pass the time is, of course, with music. I'm learning this all the more as my three-year-old, anytime we hop in the car, asks for us to, to pop in some music. And, of course, that is a very good thing. We like listening to music while we're driving, right? The next thing that happens is that he asks for very specific music, and that is VeggieTales. Now, VeggieTales, again, in and of itself, a good thing. For those of you that may not know, VeggieTales are these characters that sing the, the lyrics of the Christian narrative in a, in a really fun and whimsical way. They're, they're cartoon characters. But then things start to slide downhill a little bit from there because Carson wants a very specific VeggieTales, and that's the Christmas VeggieTales. <laughs> Just last week, we were headed over to a wedding over in Wenatchee, and sure enough, we get in the car, and Carson asked for there to be Christmas VeggieTales, something that he grew in his affection for, of course, during the holiday season as we go from different places and parties, and he got used to it. Well, as a creature of habit, Carson wants Christmas VeggieTales. And of course, that means Junior Asparagus. Okay, God bless Junior Asparagus. <laughs> But his high, screechy voice as he sings while with my sheep for the 1,300th and 47th time since Christmas has me being the one asking, are we there yet? Are you kidding me? So we're a mere 27 days from the kickoff of Husky football season, but who's counting? It calls to mind some of the fond road trips that I took with my grandparents uh, to Husky football games as a child as we would come in from uh, Port Angeles, Washington. And as you could tell, as a boy, I loved going to Husky football games, as I still do as an adult. And to pass the time, my grandparents would often share some of the wonderful kind of World War II era music that they loved to listen to. And, and uh, my, my grandfather, I, I remember this really well. Yes, they did. It, it was actually in the front seat of my grandparents' Chrysler that I learned the words to bow down to Washington, not at the game itself. And, but the, but the first song that they, that they taught me, that my, my grandpa, who I called Papa, who, uh, taught me, was the Nat King Cole classic that perhaps some of you are familiar with. The chorus goes, straighten up and fly right, straighten up and stay right. Straighten up and fly right. Cool down, Papa, don't you blow your top. 
Okay, now, he taught me that song. I remember it being so fun to sing with him. Now, in retrospect, I think Papa wanted us to sing that song, and he started off because it was his way that he kept himself patient in Husky football traffic. He needed the sung reminder to him. But no doubt it's music that shapes some of the way that we think about these road trips. Are we there yet? By virtue of what a road trip is, it suggests that one is currently not in the place that they want to be. A road trip suggests a type of dynamic where there is movement, moving from point A to point B. And what I want to suggest is that the actual trip, that the medium is so often the message, that the journey becomes the destination, and that on that journey, the goodness, the hope, The joy that we seek in our destination often can infiltrate the reality of the journey before we even arrive. So today, as we continue in this series through the Psalm of Ascent that we've been looking at, I want us to consider the reality of this are-we-there-yet place. The place that we don't necessarily want to be, but that in that place, we might be reminded of God's goodness and redemption and invitation to joy before we even get to the place that we really want to be. Let us pray as we get started this morning. Uh, Lord, open our ears, our eyes, our minds to receive whatever it is. Lord, that you have for us uh, this morning. Uh, Make us sensitive to your Spirit's leading. Uh, Lord, we are grateful to be here, and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, Janie Stewart, our resident geography major, asked us to consider the topography of Scripture, particularly as we see it in these Psalms. In a couple weeks uh, ago, you got to hear Renee Notkin uh, talk about that when we consider these Psalms of Ascent that we've been looking at over the past several weeks, Psalms 124, 125, and today 126, that we look at where it's placed in this ancient Hebrew songbook. And it's the, the songs that these pilgrims, these Israelite pilgrims would sing on their way up to Jerusalem uh, as they would celebrate some of the various festivals that they would go to Jerusalem uh, to, in fact, celebrate. Now, for anybody that has gr- had the opportunity to visit, even today, the greater Jerusalem metroplex, you know that wherever you are throughout Israel-Palestine there, that Jerusalem is up from there. That you have a journey up. And so what we have here are people that are singing these songs as the road begins to get a little bit steeper. The journey becomes a little bit harder. And if people well familiar with suffering, these Israelites who have been enslaved, who have known instability, again have a walk uphill that begins to get steeper and steeper. Well, as I have shared, uh, as a big sports fan, I know that a lot of people get excited in sports fandom about March Madness, where there are just days upon days of basketball games from morning till dusk, and and people get really excited about this. Well, as as the type of sports fan I am, 
I can tell you that the middle of July is, is one of the most exciting sport, TV sports times for me. And here's why. You can get up early in the morning for four glorious days and flip back and forth from the British Open golf tournament where wind and rain always make it, create some interesting scenarios for the best golfers in the world. And so I'll get up in the morning and watch the British Open and I'll flip back and forth uh, to the, uh, from the Tour de France bike race. Okay. And usually by that time in the bike race, they're, they're beginning to get into the, either the Alps um, or into the Pyrenees, depending on the course that they're taking. And it's on those mountains that the race gets really, really interesting, where you see the strategy uh, really grab hold, and you see these riders, the best in the world, suffer as they go up these big mountains. Three-time champion uh, Greg LeMond was quoted as saying that cycling is actually all about suffering. That no matter how good a shape you're in, no matter how much you've trained, you never cease to suffer. You just get faster at doing it. <laughs> Cycling is all about suffering as the roads get steeper. And as I flip back to the British Open, it's watching golfers with these weird look on their face that that shot didn't do at all what I plan on it doing because the circumstances are so unfavorable. What I picture from our pilgrims in the Psalms of Ascent that we've been looking at over the past three weeks, is that they are to that uphill climb, and the weather is not good. And there is real suffering. Suffering that calls to mind the real suffering that they have experienced as a people. And they begin to realize that their feet hurt. Their muscles ache. They're sweating profusely. And the questions of, does it really have to be this way? Especially when we're going to celebrate, rise up. Does it really have to be this way? Isn't that a question that we're familiar with? I know it's a question that is, I reflect on some of the confusion and some of the issues in my own life. I'm left at a place of, really? Does it have to be this way? And even more so, as I read the headlines in newspapers or on the internet that leave me in a place of, does it have to be this way? Do you ever have that reflection? No. The answer to the question is no, we're not there yet. We're still suffering. We have not been brought into the, the fulfilled promise of this place where suffering will be wiped away. Yet, in the reality of the suffering, these people continue because of a hope for joy. Because of this prevailing belief that even in the mystery of the chaos that we see, that God is good. Even when things seem to contradict that, isn't that our great hope? In the uphill journey, one foot in front of the other because God is good. Now, that's a, a bit of a long introduction to, to say that, to keep these things in mind as I invite us to stand as a community here and read Psalm 126 together. It's on page 499 in the Bibles in front of you. And as you stand up, if you would use your imaginations with me, that we might take ourselves out of an air-conditioned room in Seattle, Washington, and put ourselves on a dusty path with the sun beating down on us, with our muscles aching, and yet 
hear this refrain in this psalm that calls us to joy. Let's read the words of Psalm 126 together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. May those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Please be seated. Now, in my mind's eye, this is the psalm of ascent equivalent to the journey classic, Don't Stop Believing. And I got to tell you, this is a bit of an aside, but as the college pastor here, do you realize that that like at a wedding or something where that song from Journey comes on, Don't Stop Believing, the college students go crazy. They get out on the dance floor and start jumping around and they know every word. That classic from, is it the 80s, 70s, maybe 80s? Still a classic among contemporary college students. So the way that I hear this song is in some ways a don't stop believing type of theme. A song that seeks those singing it and hearing it to remember to find joy in the midst of an uphill journey. The refrain of this song points to goodness. The prayer that finishes that end, that the refrain is shouts of joy even as they carry their sheaths, even as they mourn. Joy is the refrain. And it comes out of this remembering, the the Lord has done great things for them. Those who see these people say, the Lord has done great things for them, and they respond by saying, the Lord has done great things for us. Let's say that together. The Lord has done great things for us. Say it again with a little more enthusiasm. The Lord has done great things for us. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember that. The Lord has done great things for us. The refrain from these ancient Hebrews is the refrain that we also inherit. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when the circumstances say, no, that's not true. The truth is, the Lord has done great things for us. But the truth is also, and we can't miss this, that we live in a world where there is real suffering. Where there is real mystery and real chaos. And this weighs that heavy. What we are not singing is a flippant, don't worry, be happy. There is real suffering that we have to engage here. But... It's not about ignoring that suffering or medicating that suffering or denying it. It's about stepping into that suffering. That's what I love about what we got to do with our friends at Side by Side today. For I know 
of no greater illustration on this morning to illustrate what we're talking about. We're talking about 19 families up at Camp Arnold in Eatonville that have a child with cancer. Just that idea right there shows us what we're talking about. A child with cancer, real suffering. Why does it have to be this way, Lord? We don't ignore that that's real. Instead, what we do is we have 200 volunteers that have said, we are going to step into that. We're not going to ignore it. We're not going to say, oh, just pray harder. We step into it. And it's real. And what is the net result? The net result are these 19 families that in the midst of their struggle, and their suffering have this possibility to again remember and experience a real sense of joy in that. Maybe for just this long, they forget about how much they're suffering. Earlier we got to hear a, a witness from, from Betsy as she does work in South Africa. And as Ken asked her, how can we pray for you? What's going on there? I love that her response was, pray that we can continue to minister to individuals for the purpose of encouraging them. These victims of AIDS that have perhaps forgotten that in their suffering, there's that possibility to hear an invitation to joy. Betsy's mission there is to encourage these people. We don't ignore the suffering. We don't pretend it's not there. Rather, we step into it. We lean into it. And that's what I believe this psalm is all about. Acknowledging this suffering that's real, and yet, and yet we can't deny this refrain that the Lord has done great things for us. And to me, the most captivating Verse of this passage is verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. To be restored is to be one who dreams. Perhaps you've experienced something like this in your own life where that being able to dream has disappeared. Perhaps you lost a job or have been looking for a job and nothing ever seems to change. Apathy sets in. Perhaps it's the end of a relationship and deep loneliness that robs you of a vision for how things could be any different. Perhaps you've experienced this in community, maybe even this community. Given all the changes and transitions that have happened at UPC over the past several years, there are many people left wondering, is this, is this my church? We've stopped dreaming about what we might do or how things might be any different. The longer the road trip and the harder the circumstances have us asking all the more, are we there yet? And the bumpier the road makes us wonder, If it's worth it. It makes us wonder if there is another way. Is there a way to do this without suffering? Yet the call of this passage is that we might become like those who dream. These people become dreamers. 
I was recently at a seminar where people were discussing the challenges of getting things done in the workplace. And one woman, in talking about a workload that she was clearly both excited about and a little bit overwhelmed by, challenged the the content of the presenter by saying something along the lines of, you know, this all sounds great, but how can I be productive at work when I have a boss who is not constrained by reality? <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like an interesting boss. Because I know that even in my work here at UPC, it's no doubt... Uh, some of the most joyful moments that I have where we are, when we're dreaming about how we might share, how we might do things in ministry that are big, that are kind of crazy, and honestly, most of the time, we never actually end up doing them. But they lead us to a place of laughter, a place of joy, a place where, as Janie shared about last week, we're not taking ourselves so seriously and thinking that it is all about us and that we are somehow alone on this road of having to take the gospel to the nations and share hope with the students at the University of Washington. But we're led to this place of laughter, this place of going, man, what could be here? Where we become aware that God is present in this. And that's the promise, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And it's often what we like to call, right, the tired jollies, where you're fatigued and going, I don't know what else we can do here, that the laughter, the laughter resounds the hardest. Those moments where we dream and where we laugh, where we are not constrained by the reality of our circumstances and where we simply remember that God is with us and we are children of the King. So we're not there yet, friends. We join together with those that have gone before on this road trip, seeking to remember in the mystery and chaos of the world that we live in that God is good and God is present with us. That even in our suffering, there might be those blessed times of dreaming and laughing together. And so that is my hope on this Sunday morning for us as a community. That we might be willing, that we might be courageous enough to step into those places where we see chaos. And that we might be able to dream on behalf of each other, on behalf of our community, and on behalf of a world in need. Intercessory dreaming, perhaps you want to call it. So what's that mean? That means dreaming for someone. There is someone in your life who is so discouraged right now that they cannot possibly believe that God cares for them. And as you think about their situation, you probably go, I get it. I get why they can't believe that. Dream for that person. Hope for that person. Share with them when they have lost that vision. I know it's been true in my own life that when I can't see the bigger picture, I count on friends that I trust to be able to come around me and say, here's the truth about who God is. And here's the truth about who you are as a child of that God. A people assured of God's love and grace. We can step into those places where we can dream 
for those who have lost their ability to dream. You know, I've, I've heard it said that when we talk about things like poverty or addiction, perhaps even post-traumatic stress, that one of the common denominators of those situations is the loss of any ability to dream. Dreaming is what restored people do. And my gut says that God is calling us as a community to be a part of that restoration. To help people dream. To help restore their ability to dream. Now with that in mind, we have a lot of kids that got to hang out with us here this morning. And kids, I want to I talk to you really quick. That I want to challenge all of you children in the room, to tell your parents and your grandparents your dreams. Tell them what you dream about, what you hope for. Tell them what you think God dreams about for you. And don't hold back because odds are when you share those things, you will inspire them or you'll make them laugh, both of which are good, both of which are in our text this morning. Kids, share your dreams. We need to hear what those dreams are. And perhaps you sit here this morning discouraged. And I'm here to tell you that this community is a community that will dream with you. They will come alongside you. This church is filled with people of all ages and all stages that can see the bigger picture. That will come alongside you and remind you that there is hope. There is joy, even in the mystery and chaos that feels so heavy to us. Call on those people who dream. Let's be that for each other. I got a firsthand witness of this on Monday when I was here to celebrate the life of Dick Myers. I know that many of you were also here on Friday when we did the same thing for our beloved Ellen McAtee. And what I saw on Monday was this sanctuary filled with people who entered into the reality of the great loss of our friend and uber-charismatic Dick Myers. There was real loss there. And yet, as I looked around the room, as I watched our beloved Jan Myers mourn her husband, there was an assurance And dare I say, even a joy that was present there as we got to celebrate Dick's life. It called to mind those words in Matthew that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And it seems that that comfort brings about restoration, and that restoration brings about joy, an ability to dream. So can we commit this morning to dreaming as a community? It's a dream that 103 years ago, people from First Press downtown had to come out to the university district. And we carry on those dreams now. We're here together. Let us be a community that dreams together, that dreams that we might witness to a community and to a world in need that somewhere along the way, people might look at them and go, the Lord has done great things for them. And that we might remember the Lord has done great things for us. And doing this is living out the fulfillment of the resurrected Christ.
the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts reminds us, per the words of the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old ones will dream dreams. Jesus lives. You have been restored. So let us be a community that commits to stepping into the suffering and the chaos together. But that also dreams with each other. That we might share joy and hope to a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us and we are grateful. And so, Lord, by your spirit, give us dreams that we might step into those places of chaos and that we might weigh that heavy but be agents of real joy. Lord, give us dreams and then give us the courage to walk into those dreams. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.